Hi, this is Edwin Crozier of the Franklin Church of Christ in Franklin, Tennessee. I want to welcome you and thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. The lesson you're about to hear is the third in a series of lessons presented to the Franklin Church in January of 2009 by Harold Comer. Brother Comer agreed to work with us as we strive to make 2009 our biggest year of growth ever. In this lesson, he provides some very practical advice for inviting folks to simply check out Christ Church. If you need some advice on how to invite and recommend people to attend the church's assemblies and classes, this is the lesson for you. Open your Bible and get ready to learn about the nine levels of invitations. Truly, it's a pleasure to welcome you this evening. It's a cold night. And uh, the potential of an audience like this, when you think about the opportunity of knowing better what to say, knowing how to say it, knowing the range of things there are out there that will be helpful, that can be learned, the skill level that you can gradually move up through, and the results of all that, and the souls that result from all of that. I hope that when this lesson is over, that it will be easier for you to say, you know, there are some things I can say, and I may not be able to do all of the advanced skills but I learned to do the first ones, and I can get better and better about that. And somewhere I can find someone that's a genuine prospect and is really looking. I think that even old Christians can find up to 10 to 12 people before they die. And I say that because I know some people who were not converted until after they were 70 and has seen what they did simply because they knew how to invite and to invite and to invite and uh, been able to stand on the sidelines and marvel at all that they were doing and marvel at the results. And now after years of seeing those numbers multiply, the original count that I made of 10 to 12 has been multiplied by a number of souls that came from that. We are commanded to say, come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Three participants in this. First, there's the Spirit and the Bride. They have a united voice. There is the person who hears. And there is the person who is either thirsty or desires. The only one out of those three that we can respond to, that the responsibility that falls on us is the statement that let him who hears say come. So that says that there has been a job given to us and that we need to accept that with seriousness we need to know the amount of work that has to go in to that. You're not going to just invite a half a dozen people and find a great prospect. Now, occasionally, somebody does. But then they're still going to meet the average somewhere along the way, and they've been a little bit deceived, and they don't need to get too optimistic that all they have to do is invite six people. The, the numbers are accurate in just one congregation after another, that if you'll invite a hundred people, five of those will have some kind of response. An average of two people will come in for each one of those five invitations that are answered. And out of those ten people, six of them will not be back. And that's true in every church, in every situation in America, Four of those, there is only one prospect and then about a half of a prospect in the other. But if we say come and we keep saying it, then develop our skills in that. There are a lot of benefits that are there. I'm going to call it a gentle touch because you're not trying to push somebody into the water. You're not trying to push them away from something. You're trying to stir and stimulate and lead them in the right direction. And so, in an urban situation, the quality of a gentle touch is very important. 
What do you do? You're a city person. You're urbanized a lot more than we want to admit. What do you do when a salesman pushes you too hard? You back off. You close the door. You shut down the possibility that's there. So spiritual invitations must be gentle touches and not hard, pushy correction or hard, pushy instructions. You may wonder that that is cowardly or that that's not really what God wants, that he wants people of courage. He wants people who will say the truth. And he does. And there's a time for that. But Jesus was not wrong when he didn't even talk to Herod because there was no prospect there. Jesus was not wrong when he took the people where they were and tried to get them to take the first step in the right direction. This commandment and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition or those who oppose themselves, uh, one translation will say. Now, that says that that's not an option or a weakness. That's a must command. The servant of the Lord must not be contentious, but must be gentle unto all. A key commandment that we looked at yesterday was that we're to walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That we're to find that and work in that. So, if you want to do wiser invitations, one of the things you need to make a commitment to right now is that you're not going to let the night pass till you get some pencil and paper and in a quiet period write out two or three of the invitations that you can imagine yourself saying. You cannot just hear something and then uh, spout it out. But if you will hear and then write it out, put it in your words, write it out two or three times, it begins to frame itself in your mind and it will come out in a much more natural kind of way and it will be you in your speech. If in time you write out a few more, there will be a reserve of skill that's there. So there are many levels of doing this and saying come. I'm going to go through them from the simplest to the more complex. The, the simplest level is just say come. I mean, that's, there's not an awful lot to that to say, one of these days, why don't you come and go to church with me? And anybody could say that. It's just come. It, it's, uh, there are a lot of other things that could go with it, but that's enough to start. Or, hey, come go to church with me Sunday. You know why kids work so well? They, they say things like that automatically. And that's the reason that there are Christians today who were converted when they were 13 or 15 or 18. Somebody said, why don't you go to church with me Sunday night? And there is a, a, a much greater response. And if you're a student here, don't date somebody if they won't come to church with you. And if you just say, hey, come go to church with me Sunday night, you're going to hit some people that are floundering around and looking for something else. Uh, you can just uh, identify where it is. One of these days, you should come and visit us at the Franklin Church of Christ. Now, you're planting a seed here for later. They might respond right here. But sometimes you plant the seed, and then you come back and say, Hey, remember we talked about uh, the church over at Franklin? Why don't you come with us this Sunday? Or make it more specific and move it along. If you could say that, then you can start to up it along some ways. One of these days, won't you bring your Bible and come visit us the Franklin Church of Christ? Now, all you've done is you've introduced a concept of the Bible 
Hey, bring your Bible. You've introduced an emphasis on the Bible. And that's a valuable kind of addition to throw in. And for most of us, we could throw that in much quicker. Hey, bring your Bible and uh, visit us. And so the, there are little things that you can begin to introduce. For example, at the second level, you can add a small element of curiosity. That the, the, there's a natural curiosity that's there even when the child is a year old. You see him explore his world. You see a driving curiosity that's there. You see that curiosity in the expression, come and see. And see suggests that they look at some things. And it raises the element of curiosity. You can up it just a little bit and say, come check it out. To, to say, why don't you bring your Bible and come check out the church at Franklin. And, and what that does, it raises the point of there may be something there that I need to look at and I need to consider. The come and see is an important expression that you need to learn. It, it's one of the ways, biblically, that People responded to questions and to opposition. John 1, verse 35. Again the next day, John stood, this is John the Baptist, stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And that meant, this is the Messiah. And understanding where John came from and that Messianic remnant, the Two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, when translated, Teacher, where are you staying? That's a very important lesson there. They don't ask a question about the Messiahship. They don't ask a question about his claim. All they ask is a much less threatening level of information. Where are you staying? Now, how's Jesus going to respond to that? Here are two people with a lot more devoutness than that they're they're showing him. People will not show you their real interest. They're careful about that because it can get them involved in somebody that's pushing them or pulling them along too much. So, John's uh, or the, the Jesus' response to the disciples is. Come and see. He said, come with us and see. And the the emphasis there is that it was very effective. They had a great discussion for a number of hours that day. Now, Philip has an invitation that he gives to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's objecting. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip's response is just come and see. Come check it out. Come and look at it. And it, it is a great answer if there's a controversial kind of element that's there. It appeals to the curiosity to spend a little bit more effort with the Bible and check it out. It doesn't have to be smooth and it doesn't have to be brilliant. But it introduces the concept of uh, uh, be curious about it. Anybody could say, Jim, bring your Bible. And come out to the Franklin Church of Christ and see if you don't learn something from the Bible that God wants you to know. Now, you've upped it a little bit more. It's a little bit more of the quality of what they're going to receive and what's going to be there. With any negative comment, you can come back well, why don't you bring your Bible and come and see? And if they're a genuine seeker, then that's not a big deal to them. If they're not a genuine seeker, they're it's they're not going to be they're going to be a part of that big pool of 95 people 
that most of them will appreciate the fact you cared about them and said something, but they're not going to do anything right now. About 5% of the people are going to be negative. But you don't worry about those. You don't get many of those. You think that a lot of people are going to be made ill at ease because you cared about them. One of the things that's happened in urbanization is that people are so cold and distant and removed from each other, the very fact that somebody cared about them and something that's important is a positive. So if you will be gentle in your touch, it will be appreciated by the majority of the people that you say something to. The vast majority will not be angry, will not be upset about it. It will be a very small percentage that's there. Now, you can add some other phrases in it. The bring your Bible. Why don't you bring your Bible and come? Uh, or come and see for yourself. Or why don't you come about four weeks and check it out and see what you learn. Now you've introduced a little bit more commitment of time. If it is a more difficult kind of thing, you can up the, the quality of what you're asking for. We used to ask for like 10 studies. You can't ask for that anymore. Unless you'd have to have somebody really highly motivated to even give you a promise of three or four studies. I don't want to ask for three or four studies. I, I suggest the benefit of one study, and then you have to give them a reason for the second study, and but that's a lot farther down the line. That's not finding a prospect, but you can say, bring your kids about four weeks, visit Bible classes, and see what they learn. The third level is you add some more in love, some kindness and concern to what you say. For example, I sure like your kids. You're doing such a great job as a mother that I see good things from you all, all the time. You know, you want to bring your kids to Bible class at the Franklin Church of Christ. They've got a series of lessons called Our Spiritual Heritage that will amaze you at how much your kids learn. And when your kids learn the Bible, it will move them along in their life and in their character. Now, you've added some benefits in there. That's a little long. And what I have on the screen is just that you have introduced the, the war of giving them honor and respect for a valid spiritual action that they're going through. Don't flatter and don't brag and don't manipulate. But the Bible says, honor those who are worthy of honor. Honor to whom honor. And that says that when they're doing something spiritual, something God commands, and working at it, it may be they're doing it just because they think it's wise. But they're still doing something God commands. If they're a good worker, you can compliment that. If they're a self-controlled, peaceful person, you can compliment that. that. Those are godly values. Uh, so there are a number of things that you can put some kind of warmth in it without being manipulative and self-centered. And uh, They've got to know that you love them and you care about them and you're building a bridge of warmth to them. Some kindness phrases. I appreciate how much you love your family. I appreciate what a good mother you are. You know, I, I observe that you really care about your, fa your, your your boys and you spend the time with them out on the, the baseball field. It, you compliment morality. You know, you're a, a good moral man. Where do you go to church? Uh, you can, that's a, a bounce off. But the first thing is, you understand the importance of building a warm bridge to them. You really are a hard worker. Or you, you know, you're one of the hardest workers in this whole planet. And the one natural response there is, where do you go to church? Or 
you can, if you don't want to ask, it's not threatening after a word of war. It's accepted and warmly accepted. The old line that even preachers years, years ago, when you had a good man that just wasn't, he knew the truth, he knew what he ought to do, and he wasn't responding, is, you know, you not have to change much to be a Christian. Now, the truth is, he's got to change his commitment. But he's got a lot of good habits. And he needs to be appreciated. And it was a great uh, bridge to a lot of people who were baptized because of that word of kindness. You can ask someone you don't know well where you go to church after a word of kindness. Uh, the story of Rick Billingsley, uh, when uh, he... Uh, was in a grocery store line and it's moving fast and he's got the hardest working cashier and she's flying and moves along and Rick gets up to the cash register and he compliments her for the hard work and how she's moving everything along and she smiles at him. Now that's an illustration of what I've been making. Let me finish the story because there are three or four other points that this illustrates. And she, she smiled at him, and, uh, and she said, well, well, thank you. She said, I, I guess I, I am the fastest cashier in the store. And he's been warm and nice to her, and she's relaxing a little bit. And she said, well, really, I've won the, the store-wide contest for the last two years. said, in fact, I've won the chain-wide contest. And he said, that is great, and I appreciate how much you're wearing. Where do you go to church? And she said, oh, my daughter and I go down to this, uh, this guy, the church there. And he reached in his pocket and pulled out a card that was for the Middleburg Church of Christ. He said, if you're ever looking for a church, you need to check out. And, and gave her the card from Middleburg, and she sort of smiled at it, sat over beside the cash register. Well, when he got back and... There were some questions around, maybe a class or whatever it was. He said, now, if any of y'all are ever down at this grocery store at such and such a place, and you see a really fast cashier, you tell her to come down here. Invite her to come down here to Millburn. And it's like three weeks before he's back around. And he drops in, and sure enough, she's working that day. And he gets in line, and she recognizes him. And she smiles real big, and he's smiling to her. And he gets up to the the register, and she said, Man, I tell you, those people at that Middleburg Church Christ. And she reached over inside the cash register, picked up a stack of cards. Multiple invites by different people are very, very powerful. It's only two weeks before she came to visit. And she came in... And then uh, her husband came. She was baptized. Her husband's baptized. Her husband's mother was baptized. There were like 10, 11 people within a, a, a couple of years that were baptized off that chain. And it all started with a word of honor for somebody that was working, doing what they ought to be doing, and working hard at that, and a, a Christian that could appreciate What's there? You give an immediate invitation when you get a warm bridge. Now, what happened is that she responded, and the way she answered, you knew that she had connected in some way, and you make sure you give an invitation in that kind of situation. You're one of the hardest working people in this whole office. Uh, you need to meet the good people of the Franklin Church of Christ. Bring your Bible few weeks see how much you learn. Now see, you're putting more things to it, more benefits that are there. The fourth level is when you're giving them clear benefits. I've already given you a few, but there are a great number of benefits. You've got to see the benefits first. And so you get a sheet of paper and you ask them what spiritual elements would benefit this family or this man or this woman the most. You think about 
what the Bible classes for the children will do for them. You think about how it will help their marriage. You think about the joy of them being baptized, of seeing Scripture, and the thrill of becoming a Christian. You think about the peace of sins that are forgiven. And if, if you could just tell them, describe the peace that's found when you know your sins are washed away. Or you tell them about the help that helps them control drugs, alcohol, excessive harm to the body, anger, depression, a lot of different things. It's not going to be just one action. It's going to be a long battle with some of those, but there are benefits that are there that you've got to see to be able to describe them. How to handle out-of-control desires or the beauty of the wisdom that the Bible gives. There are great benefits just in learning how to pray and get God involved and depend upon Him. So, you've got to see the benefits first. And being able to describe them. I sure like your kids. You're working at being a good mother. I tell you what they need now is they need the Bible and the best place I know around here for your kids to learn the Bible is Franklin Church of Christ. They've got a great program. Uh, just teaching kids the stories in the Old Testament and those stories are powerful. It's out on Highway 31, you tell them where it is, and just before you get down to Mark Hatcher, and bring them about four weeks and see how much they learn. You're building up pictures now, and so gradually you can increase the benefits or the picture of benefits. Now I hope that you may not be able to say I could say all of that. But I hope that there are two or three things in there that you can say. And you need to see that there are a lot of other levels that are, are going to be beyond that. You see the benefits to them, to their uh, family. You write them out. You put some warmth into it. You tell them about the benefits. Tell them where it can be found. And you have come a long way. And, and how to invite, uh, and how to invite. You need grow to say some things like, you're doing such a great job with the kids. I know you're thinking about their moral development, their character growth. Every parent wants their children to have a good life. And the best character development, and this is true from a lot of values research in the last 20 years, the best character development comes from stories, the best stories are Bible stories, and the best teaching of Bible stories around here is out of this small church out uh, on Highway 31, uh, the Franklin Church of Christ. Come and check it out. Bring your children for a couple months, and then look at what they've learned. The Bible will make you a better mother and father also. Now, there's more things that are there, more values that are included. You can go too long. And there's sometimes it's better just to say, hey, come and see. Come check it out. But there, you've got to read their reactions, and there are people you know you can say a little bit more. Now then, going on up, the fifth level is you can begin to raise things that introduce very important elements. A disciple is someone who's curious and wants to know. So anything you can do to raise the level of curiosity or seeking. And questions are really, really great at that. If you just go through the teaching of Jesus Christ and look at the questions he raised, they're just a great education in how to use questions that are there. You need to find the right questions. Jesus used them. Used them wisely. And there are a lot of things that you can learn in all that. But the first two values you stress the most. You stress Bible classes and Bible preaching. 
If you if you want to find something to talk about, you tell them about Bible preaching, or you tell them about Bible classes. That is the the quickest way to find the heart of a sincere seeker. A prospect is a sincere seeker. That means he's seeking something, and he's sincere about it. He's going to do something if, if he r- learns that. And so you you push Bible classes and Bible preaching uh, more than many other things. You can ask some questions. You know, Bible stories really build up children's morals. Uh, how much would you like for your kids to really learn the Bible and its great moral values? Can you ask, how much would you like for your kids to really know the Bible? Now, what's, what's any parent going to say to that? You keep it honest and, and raise the curiosity. And when the, they give you an answer, tell them where the best place that they're going to learn the Bible. And you've worked at your spiritual heritage. It is a great program. You do not show the evidence that you know how to talk about it. You perk up your ears. And whenever there's a demonstration, whenever anybody makes a picture, when you take the plan of the Bible, the scheme of redemption, God's plan, and you weave it through many of the symbols like water or light or life, those are themes that run through all these Bible stories, and you lay it out for the child, and you say, God's got a plan for your life. God has a, a great role for you. That is just marvelous for a child to know and to see himself and to see the benefit. Uh, so all of this is very valid, but we need to describe it. You can ask a formative question. You're doing a great job with your kids. What would you rather have for your children? An education where they get a great job? Or would you rather have moral strength and character development for a good life? If if it was an either or, there was only a great education for a great job or great spiritual development for a great character. You had to choose one or the other, which one would come first? What are people going to tell me? They're going to tell me that most of them, there are a few really pushy, materialistic people that say they need a great job. They can work on the other later. But most people are going to say, I want character. I want my kids to be good kids. And tell them where moral strength is found and where the great teaching of Bible stories would be. How well would you like to learn more about the Bible is a question directed to them. Now, you're not talking about their kids. You're talking about someone who knows that he doesn't know enough, and you have moved the question to touch a need in his heart. There's some people don't have that, and they're going to answer different. We'll, I will come to to that. How much would you like to learn more about the Bible? Somebody says, well, hey, I'll tell you, I guess I need to. If you want to learn the Bible, there's this young preacher at the Franklin Church of Christ that really uses the Bible. If you, you just take your Bible with you and check him out for a few Sundays and see how much uh, you learn. Uh, and the Bible really changes you and lifts you and moves you. If they say, I'm not ready now, and when you ask the question, you've got to have two different responses because you can get different answers. And you, how much would you like to learn more about the Bible? And he said, well, I'll tell you, I'm not ready right now. i got a lot of other things. I'm going through these classes at school. And you just say, well, when you're ready to learn the Bible, and then tell them where it is, and don't get put off because they didn't give you the, the first expected answer. When you ask a question, have your two answers 
ready to respond. Other questions we'll look at in just a moment, but let me make a point that if you don't do the touches and you don't do the inviting, you're in danger of passing that one out of a hundred. Now, the 99 are, are not going to respond that much. But some more, four of them will respond a little bit and drag somebody along with them. But the one you're looking for is the one who's closer to being a disciple. But you've got to make this step and you've got to build the bridge to them. Sometimes it isn't the person that is doing the inviting is you. It may be somebody you invited a long time ago. There was a lady ten years ago or more out in California that invited a friend and invited her and invited her. She invited her ten dozen times, ten or to a dozen times, a number of times. And finally she just gave up. The friend never came and never listed. The years ran along and the, the, the woman's daughter grew and she had some trouble in her life and she's an adult. And she came to her mother uh, some months ago and, and said, Mother, I've got to find a church to get started to. I've got to get my life straightened out. The mother's never been there. But she says, I know where you need to go. You need to go to that sunny day of Church of Christ. You see, she's never been. She didn't respond. And so on a Sunday morning, the woman comes in for the first time with her daughter for the first time. They come back. They come back. The daughter quit coming back as much. The daughter was never was not baptized the last I knew. But the mother was baptized that the invitation to the daughter was extended not by the person that was going to service, but by someone that they had invited. I know uh, a cardiac, uh, a chiropractic student that uh, was distressed about her life and she told uh, someone that she needed to find a church to visit. And here was a person who had been invited, but they weren't going. And they said, well, I'll tell you where you ought to go. You ought to go and describe the church of Christ that was nearby. And she went, and she was taught, and she learned, and she was converted. Very faithful member of a smaller congregation in, in the north. And it was there simply because there was an invitation from someone that had been invited but was not going themselves. If you look at what is going on, here you are, here are the different kinds of people around you. What you want, you want a prospect, that's a sincere seeker. Sometimes you get a personal worker, that's somebody that wants to convert you, don't convert many of them or any of them. Sometimes you get a project, that's a person who's a seeker, he's just not going to do anything about it right now. Sometimes you find a curious person, sometimes you find, mostly you'll find people that are unconcerned right now. They're scattered all around you. You invite that couple and they come, they quit coming, and now you're discouraged. They're not interested, here's a bunch of them, they're not interested, and you keep inviting. Lo and behold, you hit this when they're a little curious. But they, they promise to come, but they don't ever come. This one talk to you a little bit, but not much. Bingo, you hit a personal worker, and man, he jumps on you like you, you were the greatest meal in the world. And because he's not got anybody he can talk to either. See? Uh, people don't talk to him the way they used to. And so he's all excited that you're talking about religion. And you're not going to do very much with a personal worker when he's, he's trying to convert you. Uh, down here you hit a project and he'll talk to you and then he'll talk to you and he'll talk to you and he'll talk to you and he'll talk to you. A year later he's still talking to you and he's not done a thing in a whole year. And it's alright to have a project, but a project is not a prospect. And because 
He's just a seeker, and he's not sincere about it. He's not wanting to do anything right now. All right, now then, you're up to 20, 40 people or so. You're in 60 people and 75 and more. Somewhere, bingo, you're going to hit the prospect. And when you hit the prospect, it's a different world. He looks just like all those others that came in. And you don't know he's the prospect. But he comes back, and you pay a little attention to him, and he comes back, and he's not put off when you, you invite him to go out with you all when you're all going down the Chinese buffet. And he comes back with a little greater frequency and a little shorter interval of time. And what you've got is you've got somebody who's seeking and somebody who's sincere about it. But you're going to have to go through all of those other people there to, to find that the one that's a prospect. If you make the commitment to put the touches out, to invite, then you're going to find that one and you're going to find some people that he's associated with. Well, let's go back and get the last few qualities of character of the building better invitations. You need to learn to pay the value in their mind. There are a lot of thoughts in people's minds, and if you can grab the right one, if you can grab the right value, paint the value with a question or a story or some other things, then you pull out a rather powerful motivation. Uh, This question was asked to a father who gave his life to his children, they didn't take them to Bible classes or to worship services. We, for our Bible classes, we teach a little bit about the importance of preschoolers. And one of the interesting facts that's there is that the best brain that you'll ever have is when you're four years old. You'll learn stuff quicker. You will absorb more you, I said that one day, and there's a little boy back there, and he's been playing, and it didn't look like he's paying attention. Kids listen. And when I said the best brain you have is when you're four years old, he says, Yes! I'm four! Well, he got the point. And uh, we need to get the point that there are great things that happen with one-year-olds, two-year-olds, there's a lot of learning that goes on. Well, we, we taught that and, and taught about people doing that. And so one of our members saw her brother-in-law, and she said, hey, when do you think you have your best brain? And he said, oh, probably around 30. And she said, no, you have your best brain when you're four years old. You learn more, you absorb more. When you're four, and your youngest son is four years old, then he really cared about his kids. She didn't lecture him. She didn't say, you know, if you weren't such a low-down, worthless father, you'd get up on Sunday morning and get them out to Bible class. That's not a great speech. That's a pompous kind of speech. She just said, your youngest son is four years old. The next Sunday, he was at Vestavia with his four-year-old, his ten-year-old. We never baptized him. And he, but he came for about nine months, and there were some impressions that went with the kids. Uh, but it was a great touch in whatever you would say about it because it brought out uh, an important value to him, what he thought about his kids. The lesson is a lesson in the power of a question on the right value that's there. The sixth level is you can tell a story. What do you remember the best? An explanation, a point, a teaching, or a story? You'll remember the stories, I tell you, more than the list of nine points that are there. What did Jesus Christ do the most? give just detailed instructions, or did he tell stories? How much of the Bible 
is law, codified law, how much of the Bible is story. There's great power that's there. God made your brain to, to, to collect all that and hold it and to remember it. And it has a long time kind of effect. So if you bring a spiritual value to their mind, either with a question or a story, there is a, a, a powerful drive that you've connected to. I appreciate your interest in religion. Well, if he's interested in religion, you're touching that just by mentioning. Uh, I have a friend that does something like this. I appreciate your value in religion. I appreciate the fact you came in the last couple Sundays and visited our service. Coming in with a bunch of strange people, I know it's a little hard. And I suppose you know your Bible well, and whatever they say. He says, how well do you know your Bible? On a scale of 1 to 10, how well you know it. And whatever they say, if they say 7, he doesn't have a prospect. They think they already know. Most people don't say that. Most people say 1, uh, they'll say 1 or 2. Uh, but it, when, when they say that, that means they know they don't know. Now you've got a greater shot at that. And he says, would you like to know it better? An amazing number of them say, yeah, I really would like to know it better. He said, a friend of mine and I are planning on sitting down just doing some Bible reading together about uh, 30, 45 minutes, about once a week. We talked about doing it at lunch. We talked about doing it along uh, before supper or after supper. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you sit in with us. And if he says yes... Then he gets his friend and they sit down and they start reading the Bible. And it may be they're reading Ecclesiastes. That's done by Mike Wilson and people out on the West Coast. Maybe that it's uh, just uh, the, the, the gospel. Or there are a lot of different things that you start out as a reading program. But you see, you brought a value to the center of their mind. If your child died now, where do you think they would go for eternity? Oh, Brother Comer, I'm, I, if they died, I mean, it would really trouble me, but I, I know they'd be saved. If you died now, where do you think you would be forever? There are times that you're going to ask one of the toughest questions. Where would you go if you died right now? If it's serious to you, and you've got the, the thought, in their mind at that point. Brent Hunter used to get a college student out, get him thinking about the stars and the heavens and the greatness of God. And he had asked them, what do you think would happen to you? You know, if you, you ever think about that, what would happen to you if you died right now? Where would you go? And sometimes the college student wouldn't answer for 30 seconds or a minute. And Brent would never break the silence. And the student would think, and just an amazing number of them said, well, Brent, I guess if I died right now, I'd go to hell. Brent was only with us for one semester. But from Halloween to Christmas break, he baptized 11 college students. Some of them are great Christians to this day. You can hit the value. You can touch it. If your child died 20 years from now, where do you think they would be in eternity? Now you've moved it back. All you're going to do here is just invite them about doing something with a child. If, if, you, if you just stop at the second question and they tell you they think they would go to hell, then you say, you offer to read the Bible and look at some things that, that God would do to help you. Would you like to look at five verses of Scripture about salvation with me? It's not a big deal. You don't make it a big deal, but it's an amazing response. Well, to the final two lessons, a little bit more skill involved here. You can ask for permission. This is, this is a really important kind of thing 
if you're worried about the negative, to ask for permission. Is If I knew some verses in the Bible that you really ought to read, would you want me to show them to you? Well, now you got to be ready. Or you say, well, no, I, I'm not quite ready. I, but if you've got someone close to being a prospect and they respect your life, this is that you've just asked for permission to invite them to study, and they if they say, you know, uh, yeah, I would want you to show them to me, then I've got a few verses of scripture that you really ought to read, and then there are two or three different simple studies that the thing I've talked about. Would you look at five verses of, uh, about baptism, or would you look at what God says about salvation? Uh, another way of asking for permission. If I knew something in the Bible that was really, really important, that you really needed to know, would you want me to show those verses to you? And now and then you've got the, the value up. And if they say yes, you've got permission. And the reason this is so valuable for urban people is they're skeptical and they don't have to give you permission. They've attended uh, some things like that. One of the things you got to remember is if they don't give you permission, uh, say, well, remember that I asked. If you're ever interested, say something to me. We can check those verses out. You're not pushy or you just leave the door open. And sometimes there have been some people converted way down the line that, that someone left the door open. Uh, David Tant's uh, line when he's invited somebody a great number of times over and over again, tell them about what they're doing at, at Roswell, and he thinks they're getting a little edgy about it, he'll say, I've told you a number of times about things that are going on at Roswell, and I'm not trying to nag you into coming if it bothers you, and you'd rather I didn't say anything about it, then I won't say another word. And and he means that. Uh, the most common answer that he gets is just a great number of people say, David, don't give up on me. In other words, when you're talking to people with the right motivation, they know and understand. Now what they've done, when he, 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 they've given him permission to come back and tell them more things that are going on. He knows he has somebody that's closer to becoming a prospect that's there. Well, the final level, the ninth level, is can you tell people about the consequences? This is not a manipulation of emotion. This is a, an awareness of the impact of truly important spiritual things. There have been studies on the brain about how you get to the quickest point of the brain and the quickest level of attention. And it's when something means something to you and they read the emotion in you. That that's a, that's a, a way that God created you. And there are people that use that for manipulation and use it for selfish purposes. But sometimes what we do is we de-emotionalize everything so much that it's, well, I'll tell you what the Bible says about this. You know, and we take away a lot of the power of teaching that's there. Can you describe how great it is to be forgiven of your sins? You know, I can tell you, that first night after I was baptized, I'd been laying awake at night, worrying if I died that night that I'd go to hell. And that first night, I had this this thought. I thought, you know, it wouldn't be too bad to die tonight. <laughs> sort of the shortcut to heaven, isn't it? It's, everything's not all commendable about that. But, but it just meant I was thrilled to death to be forgiven. And it was a great kind of feeling to close my eyes and go off to sleep. Can you tell anybody 
how exciting and humbling the worship in heaven will be. You need to read through the book of Revelation. You need to see what it's like to see Jesus come from around the throne and feel the wave of excitement that's among all the angels. First, the four angelic super angels, the four beasts, fall on their face and cast their crowns before Him. Just, I mean, they're so powerful that they bow down. And then the 200 million hosts of heaven fall on their faces. And then all of us on the crystal sea cannot stand. We all fall flat and cast our crowns before Him. And we're all grateful to be there and all thrilled to say hallelujah and all thrilled to give praise to Him. Can you tell somebody what it's like to be in heaven? There are a lot of people that don't have really great pictures of heaven and tell them what the values are. Can you tell somebody how overwhelming judgment is when you come to judgment and you hear this sweet little old lady and and she's been been sweet for most of the things in her life. But when she came to read the Bible, she would say, surely it doesn't mean that. And she would reject what God said. And God tells her, depart from me. I never knew you. Can you describe the fear and the sinking emotion? Can you describe the feeling of being told, enter in a good and faithful servant? We need to spend some time in heaven. We need to spend some time of judgment. It makes us better inviters. Just two final things then of describing. Can you tell somebody what the Lord's Supper does for you when you take it every Sunday? I'm glad to be old when it comes time for the Lord's Supper. Because I tell you what, what I have. I've got all these memories of what it feels like to drive a nail through your hand. I have all these memories of one Lord's Supper after another, of how terrible a cramp is as the blood begins and the fluids begin to go out. I have the joy of taking the Lord's Supper with someone around the world into one body. I have the joy of sharing with everybody in this auditorium. I have the joy of sitting down with Jesus Christ. Communing with Him. Sometimes we neglect people who think that all the Lord's Supper get boring if you took it every Sunday. And all it does, it just gets richer and richer. It gets more and more meaningful. Can you tell them about it? Can you tell them about singing? I make arguments about the instrument of music, and I make arguments about the things of abusing the Lord's Supper. But I need to be able to tell somebody what it's like to be sitting there, and the verse is just exactly what I need at that time. And it lifts me up, or it crushes me in my sin. Or it makes me positive for the week ahead that there's so much that's to be found when I'm blending with everyone else in, in singing. Or when I am teaching and singing and I'm one of the ones that's being taught. To close, would you write them out? If you can write them out, I tell you, you'll get a lot closer to say, I can say that. I, I do circles, and I, I teach these things for like eight weeks or something like that. And then after a few months or a year or two, I'll call all those people back. We'll sit around again. One of the questions I'll ask is, how many of you ever wrote them down? And about half of them don't write them down. And somewhere along the way, I'll ask about how many people they've invited you know, it's always the people that wrote it down that are inviting after a year. 
And when somebody doesn't make that first effort, they end up just as silent as a tomb. And so it really is important that you put the thoughts in your mind and you end up where you can say, I can say that. So do two or three tonight, at least by tomorrow. Get a pencil and paper. Write down what you could say. It'll be, you'll be surprised how valuable it is. I teach that to boys in their first dismissal prayer on Wednesday night. Write out about five of them and throw them away. And then get up there and pray from the heart. It'll be a great prayer. And the same way with you. Write it out. Uh, read it a few times. But talk from the heart. And it'll be a great invite. This is very important. It's very, very important. It's very, very, very important to get to the point that you're inviting others. If you don't invite, if you don't write them out, you'll probably never start inviting. I hope you were edified by this lesson. Most of all, I hope God was glorified. At the Franklin Church, we take God's directive to spread his gospel seriously, and we don't want to miss one single opportunity to get his word out. We hope you share this goal. If you have any questions about this lesson, any spiritual needs, or any prayer requests, please feel free to call us at 615-794-2359, or you may contact us through our website at franklinchurchofchrist.com. Also, if you're ever in the Middle Tennessee area, we would love to meet you face-to-face. We would love for you to attend one of our classes or assemblies. You can find directions and meeting times on our website. Again, that's franklinchurchofchrist.com. We look forward to meeting you. May God richly bless you as you draw closer to Him. More importantly, may you richly bless God.